Friends, Romans, and countrymen, lend me your ears. Welcome to Torah Studies. This is our weekly exploration of the Torah portion. Torah portion this week is Kitetse. This Torah portion happens to have a ton of mitzvot, a ton of commandments. So I don't have the good condition of the Chumash that has the exact number conveniently in the back of exactly how many positive and negative mitzvot in each Torah portion, but take my word for it, there's a lot including one mitzvah that we're going to focus on tonight that has to do with Jewish building code. In other words, when you build a house or when you buy a house, when you build or buy a house or a home, right, there are certain rules and regs that you need to follow Jewishly to make sure it is a kosher home. Um, and we're talking about the construction itself, and that will be the focus of tonight's class. But let me first tell you something. And that is... There is a great commentary whose name, I believe it was, I believe it was the Ramban in Achmanides who said the following. He said that Torah speaks in the here and now and alludes and hints to spiritual concepts. So Torah speaks to, you know, practical matters, human issues, worldly dynamics. That's what it speaks to directly. And it alludes to, there's a higher message, a deeper message of all these spiritual things. But the mystics said, other mystics said, um, Nachmanides the Ramban was a mystic himself, he was a Kabbalist, but other mystics took it a step further and said, on the contrary, the Torah really speaks to the spiritual and it only hints to the physical. In other words, when you and I study Torah, and we encounter a story about creation, or we encounter the story about Noah and the ark, or we encounter the story about Abraham and Sarah, we encounter the story about Joseph and his brothers, or the Jews in Egypt, Pharaoh, Moses, and the Exodus. We encounter the story of the splitting of the sea and the giving of the Torah at Sinai, and the sin of the golden calf, and the sin of the spies, and the rebellion of Korach, etc., etc., etc. And when we encounter mitzvot, such as building a sukkah, shaking a lulav, eating matzah, blowing the shofar, so how do we view these things? Do we view these mitzvot, these, these stories and commandments, do we view them as practical matters that also have a spiritual meaning, or do we view them primarily as spiritual matters that also have a physical meaning? Does it exist in heaven and we have a taste of it on earth, or does it exist on earth and in heaven they have a taste of it? The truth is one could say, who cares, right? It is what it is. It exists both in the physical plane and in the spiritual plane. But there's a beautiful idea that some mystics share about this, about, about this topic. That the Torah really speaks in the upper worlds. And it alludes to our physical reality, which means that when we study Torah... Um, you notice I have a bright blue kippah? You notice that, right? Can you guys see that online, the bright blue kippah? So listen, I'll tell, true story. This is parental dedication to their child. So, um, when was it? Last night. Yes, he left today. Mendel left today. For those of you who don't know, my son Mendel, my 14-year-old, left today to yeshiva, to um, Chicago, and, uh, okay, so that's that. So, part of his rules, part of his, um, you know, the rules of the yeshiva, you have to wear a black kippah. Like, very understated, very, like, so we were looking at the house. We didn't have any. He doesn't have a black keeper. He has like a gray, like a charcoal, or this or that. So I, I had a black one. 
said Mendel, you can have mine. I'll take the bright blue one. <laughs> anyway, in case you notice the blue yam can wonder what's the significance, it's not mystical, it's just practical. Okay, but getting back, aha, but it has to be mystical because everything has, okay. Let's, so let's get back to our topic. So it's not just that we could find a spiritual meaning of every physical thing, of every physical biblical Torah teaching. It's much more than that. It's, you almost have to work, I mean, not, not us, because it's natural, but you almost have to stretch to find the physical meaning of this incredible spiritual work called, work called Torah. So today, what we're going to do is, we're going to study Torah like they study in heaven. Torah seen through a spiritual lens. And the focus will be one mitzvah that we're going to look at on a practical level. We're going to ask a few questions. And as we'll see, we're going to hit a wall. You can't understand it. On a physical level, we're going to hit a wall. You can't understand it. The only way to understand it is to expand our consciousness and start understanding the mitzvah on a spiritual level. And the moment we open up our consciousness to understand it on a spiritual level, the questions that existed on a practical level will be resolved. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yes? Yes? Okay, perfect. Perfect. If I got two thumbs up, then I know for sure <laughs> it's, uh, we're, in a, we're in a good place. Okay. So the focus of tonight's class will be on the mitzvah called Maikeh, or Ma'akeh. What is the mitzvah of Ma'akeh? It's the mitzvah of building a wall or a railing around your roof. Yeah? I know people pronounce it differently. Some people say roof, say roof, rough. No, that's a dog. Okay. Right, no, no one says rough. Okay, so roof or roof, either way, when you have one in your home, you must build a fence, a guardrail, a wall around it. What I'm, what we're going to do is a flat one, right? Yeah. Well, the truth is that's a good that's a good question. Is it a flat one? Probably a flat one, but in truth, it's really any roof that you could theoretically go up on. And the truth is, it's not even doesn't even have to be a roof, as we'll see soon. But it's a really good question. But typically, so to answer your question without getting too Talmudic, right? So. In most cases, you're not going to hang out on a slanted roof, and therefore you need, you need it on the, on the flat one that, that, that people will typically hang out on. Okay, so let's jump into this mitzvah. This is going to be text 1A on page 125. So for everyone here in person, you can open up the booklets to page 125, text 1A. I'm going to put it up on the screen for the benefit of everybody joining online. Hold on, let's let in some more people. Okay, let's get this going. I'm going to share my screen. Okay, here we go. Um, second. Hold on. What happened to my share? There we go. All right, I'm going to read these texts. Text 1A. So the Torah says, the, the fall. can you guys see that online? Yes, thumbs up if you can see it. Okay, great. I see some heads nodding. Introducing the Micah, making the Micah. Text 1A, Devarim, Deuteronomy 22.8. This is one of, the mitzvah, one of the many commandments in the Torah portion. And it says like this, when you build a new house, you shall make a guard rail for your roof so that you shall not cause blood to be spilled in your house when the one who falls should fall from it the roof. Okay, that's a bit of a convoluted sentence in English, um, but here's what it means. When you build a house, make sure you put a guardrail around the roof so that no one should fall. 
right? Because if someone falls, what's the implication? Help me out here, guys. If somebody falls, then who's responsible? You're responsible. The homeowner is responsible, right? Look what it says. You should not cause blood to be spilled in your house when the one who falls should fall from it. So if someone falls from it, then you're the one causing blood, even though who told them to fall from my roof? Okay, you're right. Who told them? No one told them. But nonetheless, you have to take, you have to take responsibility, pre preemptive and proactive responsibility to make sure that there is a guardrail around the roof. Now, the truth is, so far so good. It's a pretty straightforward mitzvah. It's the idea of, of, of preventing an accident. Let's take a look at text 1B. Here we have the Sfarno who Doesn't says... Doesn't God give liability insurance? Yeah, exactly. God says, you want liability insurance, make sure, you put up the, make sure you put up the guardrail. All right, text 1B, good. The Sfarno says as follows. He explains why. So that he, and he quotes the verse, so that you shall not cause blood to be spilled in your house. If some, and he says what I just said, if someone were to fall... Make sure that you are not in any way at fault so that blood should not be attributed to your home. So if somebody fell, and as I pointed out, we have a daily um, Torah study class at noon every day, um, hence the term daily. So it's called Daily Power Parsha. And I pointed out a few days ago when we were studying this mitzvah that it refers to even someone who was acting recklessly on your roof. So let's say they were acting recklessly. That's why the Torah says, Ki yipo hanofel. The fall, if the faller, so the faller shouldn't fall. Why did I say the faller shouldn't fall? Why not the person shouldn't fall? Because the person was acting reckless, so he was in the act of being a faller, right? And yet, you have to take responsibility to make sure that they don't fall on your, on your, uh, on your property. So, and if, and, if, and if due to your lack of pre, uh, pre, um, preventative measures, the person indeed fell, then the bloodshed is attributed. On some level, there's culpability. Now, I mentioned before that we can expand this mitzvah. It's not just a roof. It's not just a guardrail. Because what is at the core of this mitzvah? Help me out here. What's at the core of this mitzvah? What's at the core of this idea? I have an idea. Yeah, go, Sarah, go. That the Jewish people are all uh, bonded one to another. Good, good. Okay, okay, good, good. Excellent. But that's going a little, a little too deep. Uh, well, not too deep, but it's going a little. Hold that thought, because we're gonna hopefully bring that in. But I'm asking on a, on a very practical level. What's at the core of this mitzvah about putting Prevention. up the? Good, perfect. So what else? Let's let's brainstorm together. Let's brainstorm together. What else could this apply to in the house? What other things do you think might fall under this category of putting up a guardrail around your home? Give me some more scenarios. Stairs that your two-year-old can't fall down. Good. Putting up a, a gate, um, a baby gate. Good. What else? Sharpen. Sharpen your knives, Mark. No sharp knives. Oh, okay. I am kidding. I know. I, <laughs> I figured that's what you were saying. What else? What else? What other examples? Let's get from our fire extinguisher. Fire extinguisher. Good. What else? Amazusa. Okay, that's a spiritual one. Good. What else? A ditch in your yard. Oh, excellent. A ditch in your yard. Yeah. What would you have to do to the ditch in the yard? Ah, uh, you have to fence around it. Yeah, make sure there's a fence around it. What's another example of a ditch that people have in their backyards that's usually filled with water? A pool. Swimming pool. All right. Sorry, I gave that one away. That was like. <laughs> around a pool. Good. So if you have a it's pool, the whole for example. Exactly, the right. Whole idea of a fence. So if you have a pool, for example, so the pool is a date. Look, if you have a pool 
and it's it's free access from the house or from like the patio or whatever it is, and there's kids around or even adults, whatever it is, it could be dangerous. So the very same Torah that tells you that you have to put a fence around the roof is not just just if you have a roof you have to put a fence. It's a concept that you have to make sure your home is not pro, is not proving dangerous to other people. That means that you have to take take pre, uh, proactive measures to protect others from danger in your home. So there's a whole host of, of laws, and um, here's how it's um, enshrined in the Code of Jewish Law in, in Shulchan Aruch, text number two. I'm going to read this text too. Page 126. The, this is from the Alter Rebbe's Shulchan Aruch, the Alter Rebbe's version of the Code of Jewish Law, and here's how he phrases it. This law applies. Whether it is a roof or any dangerous thing liable to cause a fatal accident. For example, and this is what Steve said, if someone has an empty pit in his courtyard, he must make a wall, tent fachem tall around it, or make a cover for it so that a person does not fall into it and die. So this would be, it's, it's like, it's incredible. This would be the source for having a fence around the pool or covering the pool so that no one falls in or a ditch. I mean, I don't know how many people, I think pools are more common than ditches. It's just, that's my, my take on this. But if you had a ditch, this, is, this, this would apply. So um, it's expanded also in Jewish law to include if one, I'll give you some interesting scenarios. Let's say one has a dangerous animal in their house, right? Let's say someone has a tiger. And you're thinking, who has a tiger, right? I'm not going to judge if you watched Tiger King last year. Huh, what? Huh? Uh, yeah, or a wild dog, right? Or a wild dog, right? Um, a dangerous, danger, any dangerous animal it would be a sakana, it would be a, a, a lethal th- threat to life that would have to be protected or there would have to be some protective measures to make sure that people that come into your home or on your property are not put in danger. Um, another example would be um, maybe a lock or something on a medicine cabinet. Somebody mentioned um, like a, a baby gate, a gate for kids not to fall down the stairs, right? God forbid, but also on medicine cabinets, young children, or cleaning supplies. Right? Keeping your handles turned away from the on, on the on a hot pot when it's on the stove. Keeping the handles turned in. Okay. Yeah. Good. 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 I was always taught that. That's why. I know. There, there you go. So <laughs> so then it's uh, it's it's Masora, Then it's tradition. Good. Yeah. 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 So so we have. I have, a, I have a question. Yes. Do you know what? The measurement these days is of a tefach? My understanding was, where did I see the number this week? I think I saw 40 inches for the tent fachim, which means about four inches of tefach. So so less than four feet? Less than four, yeah, well, hold on, 36. Like three and a half feet. Yeah, about three and a half, yeah, yeah, right around three and a half feet. It's, it's so interesting because, you know, a couple of years ago, I was looking for a, a house, I was house shopping before I got this uh, money bit. But, um, so, so there were several houses that I looked at with that second story like uh, parapets, um, and they were not up to code because they were too low. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm just thinking, you know, I think it's more than that. Interesting. The building code today, right? For, it would make like, sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
might might be a lot more than 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 even the asrat tafakhim. Right. Yeah. It's a good. It's and it's a really you could phrase so, it as a question. I think that's a sakana's nefesh. Right. Is something we gotta watch out for. Exactly. And that's the message. If there's a danger. Exactly. If there's a danger to life, then you have to be, you have to taper out the measures. So I want to get into two questions before we explore this on a deeper level. So the first thing we need to know is when it comes to a mitzvah, there are two types of mitzvot. There are positive mitzvot and there are negative mitzvot. And what that means is there are mitzvot in which we're told to do something and then mitzvot that we're told not to do something. So for example, there's a mitzvah that says, in this week's Torah portion, don't wear a garment that's woven of wool and linen together. So if you have a garment that has wool and linen together, don't wear it, okay. off limits. Shatnis, no, no good. Okay. But why? We'll leave that for another class, another discussion, but that's what it says. So that's a prohibitive mitzvah. Don't wear a garment of wool and linen. And then you have a positive mitzvah, like do wear a garment do wear tzitzit fringes, like the, right, the corners, the strings, uh-huh. on the corner of a four-corner, on the corners of a four-corner garment, like a talit, a prayer shawl, or a, an under-the-shirt prayer shawl, etc. So you have, and that's a positive mitzvah, that's a do this mitzvah mitzvah, or wrap tefillin, or put up a mezuzah on your door, or light Shabbat candles, these are positive actions, then you have the negative ones, don't do this. So the way it works is like this. The way it works is that in halacha and Jewish law, you do not make a blessing. You do not, I'm just for a clean background, I'm just uh, um, muting it, muting everybody. On a, for a, um, on, a, on a negative mitzvah, you do not say a blessing. On a negative mitzvah, you do not recite a blessing. And what that means is you don't say a blessing, you know, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who told me not to wear wool and linen. You don't say that blessing every second of the day that you're not wearing wool and linen. Like, when would you make that blessing? That'd be awkward, right? I'm not wearing wool and linen now, and not now, and not now, and not now. So you don't say a blessing. But when you do a mitzvah, you say a blessing. You wrap tefillin, you say a blessing. You put up mezuzah, you say a blessing. You matzi, you say a blessing. You light Shabbat candles, you say a blessing. You say a blessing before reciting, a, before doing a positive mitzvah, but not in front of a negative mitzvah. So what happens when you put up the mica? What happens when you put up the fence? You say a blessing or not? What do you think? It's a positive mitzvah. What do you guys think? Right? The Torah says, put up a fence around your roof. It's dangerous, right? Put up a fence. So what do you think? Blessing or no blessing? Blessed are you, Lord our God, who commanded me to put up a wall around my roof? Seems a little mundane, right? Okay. But, the, but, but Torah, Jewish law says, you say a blessing. Text 3a, it's in the books, you guys have it. 126, Maimonides writes, page text 3a, when one makes a guardrail around the roof, not on the highway, the following blessing is recited while constructing it. Again, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you, Lord, King, our God, uh, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. Asher Kedeshano B'mitzvotav, who has sanctified us with your commandments. Vitzivanu and has commanded us, Lasos Make, to construct a guardrail. You say a blessing on the guardrail. Interesting. You say a blessing before you sound the shofar. You say a blessing before you eat matzah. You say a blessing before wrapping tefillin. You say a blessing before. What are the other parts of mitzvot that we do? Whatever. Before, you say a blessing before. Huh? Oh, washing the hands. Good. Washing the hands before we eat. Good. 
Um, wait, what do you say, Dr. Maxi? Lighting Shabbat candles. Lighting Shabbat candles, etc. And you say a blessing before putting up a guardrail around your, around your roof. It's, a little, it's interesting. I, I, I would venture to say, I'm going to just take a wild shot in the dark and say, none of us have ever said this, this blessing. We've done the ones for hand washing, for eating food. We've done the ones for um, whatever it is, for chauffeur, lulav. We haven't, like eating in a sukkah, but not the one for building a guardrail. That's a, it's a very rare one, but that's the, that's the law. We're about to ask a question, but first I heard a question come through. Rabbi, I yes. was wondering, um, like, if you have a ditch, why do you have to put a fence around it? Why can't you just fill in the ditch? For sure, you know, you can, you know, you should fill it in. Yeah, that's that's another mitzvah. It's called to fill in, to fill in. <laughs> that was a joke. Oh, I set myself up. Yeah, yes, you did. Yes, you did, Adina Maka. Sorry, you give me you give me a softball pitch like that. We're gonna knock it out of the park. Okay, so yes, you would fill it in, or if you can't fill it in, or if you don't want to fill it in, then you would have to put a fence around. Now, the question is like this. Rabbi, if there's, if there's a narrow alley. Yes. Rabbi, if there's a narrow, narrow alley, and there are Hanukkah candles in the window. Yes. And, and a, a cart full of hay goes down the alley, and one of the and the Hanukkah menorah falls on it, uh, then the homeowner is not liable. Uh, I mean, I believe the Talmud says that. Yeah. Okay. So that's an elaborate case in the Talmud. We'll we'll leave that aside for right now because that's already a question about who was encroaching in whose area and who's at fault and liable. But the general notion here is that when you have something that's dangerous, like the classic case of the Torah, which is a roof that uh, people can walk on and it's just a ledge, you can fall right off, you have to put up a guardrail and say the blessing. So take a look at... Rabbi, excuse me, Rabbi? Yes. Um, is this the third category of mitzvah? Because it's not mandatory and it's not a prohibition, so it's only like in case of. Is that a third category of mitzvah? So it's an in case of there's a roof, right. So when there's a roof, but it's also the same thing with tzitzis. Like when you have a four-corner garment, you have to put fringes at the corners. Um, so it's when you have a roof that's, that's open, then you have to put up a guardrail. But, there, but you're right that it is a third category for another reason, and that is because it's a mitzvah that is really to prevent danger. It's to prevent an accident. And Maimonides tells us something very interesting in text 3b, which seems to be a contradiction, which we'll see in a moment. Take a look at text 3b, 127, I'm going to read this. Blessings, he says, in general, these are rules of blessings. Blessings are not recited over an obligation that was instituted because of danger. When it's mishum sakana, when it's because of danger, when there's a mitzvah that is applicable because of danger, you do not say a blessing over that mitzvah, which begs the question, so then why do we say a blessing for the roof, for the guardrail on the roof, which is also mishum sakana, because of a potential danger? That's our first question. I'm going to ask two questions. This is question number one. Why does Micah, why does this mitzvah have a blessing associated with it? Although it's a positive mitzvah, you should construct the guardrail, etc. Nonetheless, it's a mitzvah that only emerges out of danger and preempting danger. And thus, we have a general rule as Maimonides himself, the same Maimonides that says, you do say a blessing over the guardrail, also says you don't typically say blessings when it's 
to prevent danger. So then why this mitzvah? Now, you might be wondering, what other mitzvahs are there that prevent danger? You may know about this mitzvah. If not, I'll share it with you. I mean, I'll share it with you either way, even if you know it. Um, it's called Maimachronim. You know what Maimachronim is? It's the afterwaters after the meal. So we know about, um, Ed mentioned, the mitzvah to wash hands before the meal. There's another mitzvah, rabbinic, that's a rabbinic mitzvah. There's another rabbinic mitzvah to wash the hands after the meal. You might have seen this at a meal where they'll pass around a little cup with a little bowl. Have you seen this? No. Hold on, let me stop sharing and see if I'm getting nods. Who has seen this? My machronim. Yes, nod or thumbs up. Okay, there we go. Yeah. So what you do is you pass around. Some people have like a whole situation because, you know, the, the manufacturers manufacture any, all of your mitzvah needs. You can buy something for it. So we actually have, somebody gave us a, a nice gift. You have like, it's like a silver bowl um, and with a little cup that looks like a little pitcher with a little handle, like an old school pitcher thing. You fill up the little pitcher with water and you take the little pitcher and you pour it over your fingertips, both hands. And you do that before you say the grace after meals. Now, why do you do that? So it says the rabbis instituted this because of Melach Sedomit, because of the, the salt from Sodom, from Sodom. What does that mean? Well, apparently there was this type of salt that people used that if it got in your eyes, it could be very dangerous. It could blind the eyes if it got in the eyes. A certain salt that was hazardous for your health. May have tasted great, but it was hazardous for your health otherwise. So the rabbis instituted because of sakana, because of danger, that before you conclude the meal, right, you should wash your hands again, wash your fingertips to make sure there's none of the salt on it, and then you can say the grace after meals, and then you can go on with your day. Otherwise, you might be dipping the, the, the bread in the salt and salt on your food or whatever, and then say the grace after meals, and then later on, you know, touch the eyes, touch the face. Remember when the CDC first came out with you know, you don't want to touch your face. There was that video going around where one of the spokespeople, I don't, I don't know who it was, and they were saying how, you know, you definitely don't want to touch your face, and then they were cutting to clips of her touching her face in that actual press conference because we touch our face all the time. It's just the natural thing that we do. So the rabbis instituted, because of the danger of the salt that people used back in the day, this was before Morton's, right? This is before kosher salt. Um, this was Saddam's, huh? Yeah. You don't want kosher salt in your eyes. You don't want, well, you also don't want kosher salt in your eyes, exactly, yes. Um, but it was dangerous, so they said they instituted to, to, wash, uh, to wash your hands after the meal. So you're ready for this? Before the meal is also rabbinic. It doesn't say in the Torah, thou shalt wash thy hands before eating bread. It doesn't say thou or thou shalt either in English anyway. The Torah is in Hebrew. But it doesn't say to wash the hands. It's rabbinic. So it's rabbinic to wash your hands before the meal and after the meal. Guess which one has the blessing? Before the meal. You say, you don't say the one after a meal. Why? Because it was only instituted to forestall, to prevent, to preempt danger. And when you have a mitzvah that's about preempting danger, you don't say a blessing. Which begs the question, why is there a blessing over the guardrail? You're blessing, you're not blessing the guardrail. You're thanking God, or you're blessing God for giving us the mitzvah of putting up a guardrail. But what's going on? Why, why a mitzvah over something that is entirely instituted just to prevent danger, which is literally a category of mitzvot that you do not say a blessing over. Okay, I hope that question makes sense. Um, the guardrail, I'm looking here for a second. 
Um, a guardrail is also a danger to someone getting on or off a roof. We are not to put a stumbling block in front of one who is blind. Workers carrying, for example, shingles will be blind to the rail. So how is it okay? Ah, Mark is asking, you put a guardrail and then someone's trying to walk off the edge of the roof peacefully and fall all the way down and you're putting a guardrail to trip them, right? I'm kidding, I'm paraphrasing your question, right? So the guardrail could be more dangerous than not. All right, Kenzine could be, but hopefully it'll, it'll prevent uh, people from, from falling off. Either way, the question is now on the blessing. That's question number one. Why is there a blessing? Why is there a bracha for the mitzvah of guardrail? Question number two is a question that goes back to the text, text 1A. I'm going to share my screen again. Everybody open up here in person, please, to text 1A. Back to the beginning. Look what it says. How does this mitzvah begin? Ki sivne, ki tivne, bayit chadash. When you build a new house. When you build a new house. So I'll ask you a question. Does this only apply to your new house? What do you think? What if you bought an old house and it has no guardrail? What do you think the mitzvah is? What do you guys think? You think you have to put up a guardrail or not? Yes. yes. Build a guardrail. Based on, the, based on the text, you would think no. The mitzvah is yes. If you buy a house, you didn't build it. It's, th it's 50 years old, 100 years old. You didn't build it. You were involved in the construction. You didn't design it. Garnish. Don't, don't blame me. I just bought it. If there's a roof that people can go up on and it's dangerous and it's, you know, people are vulnerable, you have a mitzvah to put it up. Which begs the question, this is my second question, why does the Torah kind of um, capture this mitzvah by calling it, by, by, by giving us the scenario of when you build a new house, if it has nothing to do with building a new house? It has to do with having a roof that people can fall off. So why does it say when you build a new house? So there's an interesting answer that's given in the commentaries. This is not, it's not my original questions, but we're going to address them in an original way. Um, there is a classic understanding that the Sifri has. Take a look at text 4 on page 127. Text 4, page 127, the Sifri, which is one of the Midrashic commentaries on the Torah, it says like this, new, right, that's quoting the word, the, the, the word from the verse, when you build a new house, what does it mean new? So Rebbe says, and by the way, Rebbe, who's Rebbe? Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, who authored the Mishnah or compiled the Mishnah. So Rebbe says, back inside, that you must make a fence from when the house is made anew. What does that mean? Let me give you a scenario. Let's say someone builds a house, and they're not planning on moving in for another year. But why would you build a house if you're not planning on moving in? I don't know. There could be a thousand scenarios that you come up with. You build a house. You're not planning on living there for another year. So, you, so I'll ask you the question. The question is, do you need to build the guardrail or not if, if you're not living there yet? So the Sifri learns, Rebbe learns from, from Kitiv Nabayit Chadash. When you build a new house, that means the moment you construct it, the mitzvah already begins. The mitzvah begins at the moment of construction. So don't tell me that you're not going to live there for another 6 months, 12 months, 18 months, 5 years, 10 years. Don't tell me that, that, that you don't need it. It's, 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 it's a dangerous situation. Okay, but no one should trespass. No one should trespass. But, but if somebody does and it's a, it's a danger, it's a danger. I know what you're thinking. At least this is what I'm thinking. So you're telling me every building that's built, right, that has... You see these videos on YouTube where people climb these um, unfinished structures? You guys ever see that? I watch these videos, and I literally get dizzy while I'm watching it, sitting on a chair. Anyway, these people are like extreme climbers, and they'll go up on the top of these build, either buildings that are done, or building like just poles hanging in the air, like, I don't know how tall, like crazy tall in the sky. 
And um, so, no, it doesn't mean that if you're in the middle of construction, you have to put a roof, a, a, a ledge on, not a ledge, a, um, a guardrail on every single exposed beam. But it means when you finish building a house, even if you're not in it yet, from the moment you build a new house, you have to put it up. But it's, that's one answer that's given. That is, Safri says that's why it says new house. But it's still misleading because the fact is that whether it's a new house or whether it's an old house that never had one, you still need to, you still need to have the guardrail. So maybe it should have said when you acquire a house. Well, no, what if you didn't acquire it, what if you built it? Either way, the mitzvah is on the homeowner and it's not on the, it's not on the, it's not on the, the contractor. The mitzvah is on the homeowner. So then why does it say if, when you build a, a new house? Either way, the question of new and build comes, comes into play. So we have two questions. We have a simple mitzvah and two questions. Simple mitzvah is, you have a rooftop, you gotta build a guardrail. Question number one, why is there a blessing? Question number two, why does the Torah introduce this by calling it a new house? When that's not necessarily the case. So to understand this, let's talk about life. And what we're going to do now is kind of move away from, we're gonna move away from the, the, the tangible conversation, the literal conversation about roofs and homes and guardrails, and talk about you and I on a, on a bit of a, a personal level. Every human being, okay, let's, let's start a different place. I wrote in one of the emails today that I sent out not that long ago, I wrote about cancel culture, cancel culture. So what is cancel culture? Cancel culture means somebody does something wrong, they're canceled, right? That's it, they're out. They were cool, they're no longer cool, canceled, done. And now you have people that are trying to cancel cancel culture, so does that mean they're also part of cancel culture? Now that's a very complicated thing and I don't know how to, how to answer that. But what's the whole vart of cancel culture? What is, what's the whole, vart means like, what's the, what's the idea behind it? What, what's the meaning of it? So, or what, what's the context of it? Typically it's when you have somebody that was respected, it's somebody that was well-renowned or whatever it is, and did something wrong, did something they shouldn't have, and now, oh, canceled. Okay. Isn't it interesting how it seems like a lot of people that people respect end up doing things that are pretty terrible. You ever notice that? Not everybody, not everybody, right? God forbid, right? But a lot of people who are like put up on pedestals eventually come crashing down, right? What's the lushan? What's the language? The bigger they are, the harder they fall, right? The higher it is, the lower it falls. So it's, in it's an interesting phenomenon. It's an interesting, it's a curious, uh, curious idea. There's an, interesting, I, there's an interesting understanding of this um, within, the, within Jewish texts, especially within the teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy. And it comes down to one word, and that is ego. What's ego? Ego is a sense of haughtiness, arrogance, a sense that one is too big to fail, and typically, when one thinks that you're too, too big to fail, what happens? They fail. Um, this is captured really powerfully in a text from the Talmud. I'm going to share with you this Talmudic text. All right? Um, 
bear with me for a moment. Text number 5, page 128. The Talmud says, do not be sure of yourself until the day you die. I'm going to explain what that means in a moment. As Yochanan the high priest served in the, in the high priesthood for 80 years and ultimately became a Sadducee. So let me explain. This is in the times, this is hearkening back to a story that happened when the temple was still standing in Jerusalem. The holy temple. And there was a, there was a, there was a, a, a fellow whose name was Yochanan who was the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. What's the high priest? Who's the high priest? The high priest is, amongst all of the priests who serve in the temple, the high priest is at the top. He's the Kohen Gadol or the Big Kahuna, right? Quite literally. He's like, he's the most spiritual person amongst the people. He's the only one, once a year, to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple and to see the Ark of the Covenant with the angels and have that experience. And, huh? No, go, go, no. Only one Kohen Gadol. Well, there was one Kohen who was that spoke to the to the um, uh, to the soldiers in the army before they went out to war. There were there were some Kohanim that hid that had um, specific roles, like outside the norm. But there was one Kohen who was the Kohen Gadol. Now there one, was a, one Kohen Gadol at a time. One at a time. There was a yeah oh yeah, yeah yeah oh to clarify yeah one at a time one at a time. When there was a temple, there's no temple, there's no high priest. Um, there was a deputy high priest, Skan Kohen Gadol, a deputy high priest, like an assistant, just in case something happened or whatever needed the assistance. Okay. But in general, one high priest. And for 80 years, it's a crazy story, for 80 years, Yochanan, his name was Yochanan, the Kohen Gadol served as the high priest. And we know he was righteous. You know how we know? Because if he wasn't righteous, our tradition tells us, he would not have made it out of the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. If the, holy, if the high priest went into the, the Holy of Holies on the day of Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, and he wasn't a righteous person, he would die in the Holy of Holies because he wasn't worthy. In fact, listen to this, that before the high priest went into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, they would tie a string, a, a rope around his waist. And if he didn't come out quick enough, they would pull the rope. They would give it a few pulls. And if they didn't feel resistance, they pulled out the body. 80 years he served. You know what that means? He was a tzaddik. He was a righteous person for 80 years. And at the end, what happened? He became a Sadducee. You know what a Sadducee is? Someone who doesn't believe in the oral tradition. Someone who doesn't believe in the Moses and the prophecies and the explanations that we have as tradition. He completely went against the, the traditional Judaism. And the Talmud shares this as a cautionary tale. Al do not trust yourself. In other words, don't believe that you're too big to fail. Don't believe that you're infallible. Don't believe that you're invincible. Even Yochanan, the high priest, had a tragic spiritual fall. But what happens? What happens is that we feel like we're invincible. The ego says, oh, you, you have nothing to worry about. You can cruise control, right? Be sure of yourself. There's no danger. And the truth is, as long as we're breathing, there's danger. What do I mean by danger? There's always another force inside of us that is trying to pull us into a negative place. 
This is what we call the struggle, the perpetual struggle between the godly soul and the animal soul, as eloquently described in the book of Tanya, which we're about to read an excerpt from in text 6a. The Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, writes the following. Yet inasmuch, this is text number 6a, page 129, Yet inasmuch as the evil in the heart's left part of the Bainani remains with its innate strength, craving after all the pleasures of this world, one should not consider oneself immune and should not accept the world's opinion which would have him believe that the evil in him has been dissolved by the good which is the rank of the tzaddik. In other words, let's say you are a very righteous person and everyone tells you, oh, you, you're a tzaddik. And you feel like, oh, maybe I'm a tzaddik. And the definition in, the, in, in Tanya of a tzaddik is someone who no longer has a negative force inside, which is extremely rare. Like a handful in every generation. Most people have a dark side inside, even if it's not active, it's somewhere in there. But what happens if a person believes it? It's dangerous. Rather, he continues, in his own estimation, he should consider himself as if the evil is at full strength in the left part as from birth and that nothing of it has ceased or departed. On the contrary, with the passing of time it has gained strength because the person has indulged considerably in eating and drinking and other mundane, and other mundane pursuits. A person should always believe about themselves. I'm paraphrasing now. I'm out of the text for a moment between paragraphs. And here's what I want to share. A person should always see themselves and recognize within themselves that there is potential for negative, potential to fall, slippery when wet. There is danger, there is danger ahead. Even one, back inside, even one whose whole aspiration is in God's Torah, which he studies day and night for its own sake, there is still no proof that the evil has been dislodged from its place. Rather, it may still be that its essence and substance are at full force, even if a person is completely dedicated to spiritual pursuits. How do we know that somewhere inside there's still not that evil lurking and at any moment making the wrong move, it can rear its ugly head? Which is why the Talmud, in the last text, we're going to skip text 6b, by the way, just uh, as a heads up, which is why in text 5, the Talmud says, don't believe in yourself. That's, that doesn't sound right. You should believe in yourself and, and dream and all that good stuff. Um, after all, I saw it on a poster on an airport magazine, right, airplane magazine, believe in yourself. Remember those airplane magazines that used to have those inspirational posters with the birds soaring? You guys remember that, yeah? All right, anyway, either way, we should believe in ourselves, but not don't become too arrogant and think we're too big to fail. Why? Because there's always some sort of negative temptation inside. At any moment, we take our eye off the ball, that's it. We can, we can, we can fall down. Which is why every morning in our tefillot, in our prayers, we ask that God not bring us to temptation or to a test. Because we don't want to tempt fate. Take a look at text 7 from the Siddur, from the prayer book liturgy. We say every morning, bring us not to sin, neither to transgression, nor a fall from grace. And then we say, may we never a test have to face, nor ever come to disgrace. Wow, somebody decided to get poetic on that. Fall from grace, test to have faith, face, disgrace. Okay, wonderful. All right, somebody was, get, was getting all poetic with this translation. Nonetheless, the point is clear. We say every morning, please Hashem, don't bring me to a test. I don't want to be tested. I don't want to fall. 
etc. Because we realize how indeed it's, uh, we're precarious. Along the same lines, on a practical level, we tell a Nazar the following. You know what a Nazar is? All right, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's uh, um, uh, introduce the Nazar. The, the Torah says if somebody takes a vow of being a Nazar, they have three prohibitions. Number one, no contact with death. No coming in contact with a dead body. No funerals, no cemeteries, garnished. For how long? Well, how long did you say that you were going to be a Nazar for? If you took a pledge to be a Nazar for a year, that means the year, no coming in contact with death. Also, no um, getting haircuts. If you're a Nazar, no haircuts. And number three, the third prohibition, no grape or alcohol products. So, again, in reverse order, no grape or alcohol products, no haircuts, and no coming in contact with death. Why these three things? I don't know, Torah says so. And that's what a Nazar is. A Nazar means someone who's vowing to abstain from these three things. So take a look at what our sages tell us. Text 8a. The Talmud says, Lech, lech, go around, go around, and do not approach the vineyard, they tell the Nazar. What do you tell a Nazar? Go roam in the vineyard, and, and, but just don't touch. Or you tell the Nazar, bro, good advice, just go around the vineyard. You with me on this? If, if you have a friend that's struggling with a temptation, what do you tell them? Jump in and hold yourself back? White knuckle it? Right? Just grab onto something and, and hope you don't jump in? Or do you tell the person, I love you, you're my friend, do me a favor, just avoid the whole context. I would hope if you're a good friend that you advise them to avoid the context altogether. You, are you with me on this? You, you tell someone who's struggling with something, jump in, but don't touch. Are you crazy, Meshuggah? Why, why do that, right? Why set oneself up to potentially fall? But you know what it takes? It takes a little self-awareness, right? If we don't think we can fall, well then everything's on limits. The moment you realize, one second, I'm susceptible, I'm not perfect. I'm not a tzaddik. I'm, a I'm working on being a baini, which means I still have a struggle. If you're self-aware enough to know your limitations, so then you can, you can know what to stay away from. When you trust yourself too much, that's when, that's when we fall. Does that make sense? Yes? Back inside the text. Back inside the text. Text 8b. Listen, I, I, we could get contemporary with these illustrations. I don't think we need to. Text 8b. Rambam says, according to rabbinic decree, it is forbidden for another, again, someone who took this vow of ascension, no, no coming in contact with death, no haircuts, and no wine or grape juice. It is forbidden to another to abide amidst a gathering of people drinking wine. Another is not allowed to go to a fabrengen. Well, okay, maybe a fabrengen, yes, but not to a place where people are drinking wine. Instead, he should separate himself far from them because they present a hurdle for him. Look at Rambam, Hilchot Nizirut, the laws of Nizirut, chapter 5, Halacha 10, he says the following, if you're a Nazir, stay away from a Moshav Shotei Yayin, stay away from a gathering of wine drinkers. Why? Because you can't have. And what are you going to do? Put yourself in a position where everyone else is drinking, you're not going to drink? That's setting yourself up to be tempted. So don't do it. Doesn't make sense. Don't do it.
Let's continue. Text 9. Beautiful, beautiful text. The Alter Rebbe writes. This is from Lekutei Torah. By the way, Lekutei Torah, you see that? Text 9, Rabbi Shneir Zalmav Liyadi, that's the Alter Rebbe, Lekutei Torah, Vatchanan. Lekutei Torah is what we study every Shabbos morning. Rabbi Shustman teaches every Shabbos morning, Shabbat morning, 9.15, right here in the synagogue. The Alter Rebbe writes, Teshuvat Hageder, Tshuva of the fence. You see where we're going with this, by the way. Okay? Well, if you didn't, now you do. Shuvah of the fence, oh, hey, I remember fence. We were talking about that at some point tonight. <laughs> Means distancing from evil to the greatest degree possible so that one will not be tempted to sin, God forbid. The penitent needs this more than someone who has not sinned. The sages taught one should not say, I am repulsed by the thought of eating meat and milk. Rather, one should say, I'm adding those words, I am not repulsed, but what can I do? My Father in heaven has decreed upon me. In other words, should someone say, um, I, I would love to eat meat and milk, but I can't, or I don't want to eat meat and milk. What should, what, what's, what's better? What, which attitude is better? The Talmud says, one should say, I would love to eat it. I would desire it. It would be so good. But you know, I'm going to hold myself back. That's what the Talmud says. But the Alter Rebbe says, the Holy Magid, the Magid of Mizrich said, that this, what the Talmud says only applies to someone who has never sinned. The penitent, however, must develop a feeling of disgust toward evil, or that which is forbidden, so that he says, this is repulsive to me, so that he does not fall into it. In other words, somebody that's super strong, that doesn't have that temptation, could say, yeah, sure, I would like it, but I'm not going to do it, because they're not actually tempted. But someone who actually has a temptation, for them to wander close, to flirt with it, would be devastating. I, if you don't get the exact terminology here, I don't want to dive too deeply into it. It's, we don't have enough time. We have a few more texts and a big, two big ideas to get to. So I'm going to move through it a little bit quickly. Last paragraph. Thus, someone who has been in a lower place, someone who has, let me explain what that means, lower place. Someone who has tripped up before in this area must be extra careful even after he has come up. If you know that this, whatever, has proved to be an area of challenge, Morally, spiritually, ethically, right, on our level or whatever level it is, then it's incumbent upon us, right, if that's, if we know this about ourselves, then we have to be careful not to put ourselves in the, in the direct range of that temptation. But where does it come from? It comes from self-awareness. And what's the greatest kryptonite to self-awareness? Ego. Because ego says, I can handle it, like Jerry Seinfeld says. Every guy thinks he's a superhero, right? Driving down the highway, 60, 75 miles an hour with a mattress on the roof and tied up with string, but the window's open and he's holding it with his hand because just in case that very strong bungee cord twine breaks with one, four fingers, I got it, right? 75 miles an hour down the highway. The guy thinks he's got it. Really? You ain't, you ain't got nothing. But the ego gets us into trouble. The ego says, you got this. The ego says, you have nothing to worry about. You know what the ego is? The ego, you ready? Let's connect all the dots right now. It's going to happen. The ego is a roof without, dramatic pause, without a railing. It's very elevated, right? It's super elevated, super haughty, super high. The ego says, look at me. And there's an edge. You can fall right off that edge. You know what the edge is? The edge are our temptations. Everyone has their own list of things, of vices that get them or that they're, that, are, that they're susceptible to. My list is not your list. Your list is not my list. Everyone's, 
That, that's why we judge each other, right? Everyone judges someone else. Everyone says, oh, I can't believe they did that. You know why you say that? Because that's not your issue. They'll look at you and say, I can't believe you did what you did. So you know what's better? Don't look at anyone else. Look at yourself and say, I can't believe I did that. That's, that's a healthier approach. And that's exactly what we're advocating in today's class. What does it mean to build a, to build a guardrail around your roof? Recognize that you have a roof, which is an ego. Recognize that there are areas in which you could fall from. Recognize what those edges are, what those vulnerable situations are. For some, it's being in certain places. For some, it's having certain um, stimuli. For some, what everyone, it's got something else. Know what the roof, what the edge of your roof is. And then put up the guardrail. Putting up the guardrail means very simply. It means recognizing that there's danger. The, the first step in avoiding danger is recognizing that there is danger. Because the moment we recognize that there's danger, we can put safeguards into place. Oh, I see there's danger, so I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to speak to that person. I'm not going to be in that situation. I'm not going to be at that time in that place. Whatever it is, again, I, without getting into specifics, because everyone knows for themselves what their issues are. Everyone's got stuff. So there's no reason for anyone to tell anyone else about anything else. Everyone knows what they need to work on and what their, what their um, precipices are. Is that the right word? Precipice? Yeah? What the sheer drop is in there. What everyone knows where they've fallen before. And if you know that, then you know one thing. You got to put up a fence. You got to, right? You want to fall again? Who wants to fall again? Put up the fence. That's what I mean that we're studying Torah on a mystical level. You could study Torah about buildings and about roofs and about guardrails, or you can study, and you can study Torah on an elevated level. We're not just talking about roofs. We're not talking about buildings. We're not talking about construction, new construction. We're talking about a human being. A human being is an edifice. We are all a building. And we all have a roof. We all have an ego. And the ego has edges that we can fall off of. And what we need to do is put up a guardrail. And this is a circle of humility. Let me explain the circle of humility. It starts with humility. It starts with recognizing I'm not perfect. It starts with recognizing that there are areas in which I, the great I, am susceptible to falling. That's step one. Self-awareness. Honest self. Now, don't go brutal like I'm the worst person ever. No, that's not true either. But know, we have to know our weaknesses. Number one, humility, knowing the weaknesses. Then putting safeguards into place. Okay, so I know this is my challenge, so I'm going to make sure that everyone else can do it, but not me, because I know myself. So if it's safe for someone else, that's great. Call a vote. But it's not safe for me. That's, that's where my fence is. Everyone builds their own fence. And when you have a fence, that brings you back to more humility. Because you live life recognizing your limitations. So you recognize your limitations, so you, you created a fence. But when you, and, and then when you have a fence, you're now living in a space of recognizing vulnerability and living with that fact. And that keeps you, keeps a person from going beyond those lines. It's when a person says, me? I need fences? People should be lucky. To et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's when, done. When there's no humility, there's no self-awareness, forget about it. That's it. There's no rules. 
There's no rules. And then you tell somebody, uh, uh, look what you did. It's like, what I did, what you did, uh, then, then that's it. Then, then we're done. Conversation over. Yeah, that's what happens. That's what ego looks like. We've all encountered ego, right? Maybe even in the mirror, whatever. But, but we've all encountered ego. That's what ego looks like. What does humility look like? Humility looks like I know where the edge is. I know where the roof drops down. So I'm going to put up a fence. I know where it falls. I know where it needs to go. I know where it needs to go up. And I'm going to stay away. And now we have, we're going to conclude, give me 120 seconds. Two more minutes. Now we have an answer to our two questions. I ask, question number one, why do we say a blessing over Micah? Why do you say a blessing over, oh, one thing. Let me introduce one more concept and then we'll answer the two questions. So up until now we've said that the, the, that the, the fence that we put is to protect us from falling. But there's another element. The more we recognize our humility, the more we can appreciate the fact that there is a hard stop to how far our greatness, our powers extend. And when we push up against those limitations, the person realizes that, wait a second, I have a struggle with this, I have a challenge with this. These are my limitations. A person is humble, but moreover, a person is now ready to embrace something greater than self. When a person realizes the limitations of their own ego, their own self, a person is more likely, in that space of humility, to embrace a greater truth than oneself, a higher truth than oneself, a truth that is outside of oneself, an infinite truth, a divine truth. As long as a person believes that they are everything, have everything, you know, that, that they're all powerful, then who needs God? But when we realize the limitations, the contours of our own existence, that's what allows us to reach out to God who is beyond those limitations. Does that make sense? Yes? The moment we hit against the four walls of our own reality, of our own capabilities, then we realize, well, wait a second, if I want to go further, I need, I need some assistance from above. I need something greater than self. See, if we have ego, then we're limitless, right? Where I need God, Pfft, God needs me. Well, what do you mean, I need God? Who needs God, right? I'm, I'm everything. When we realize our limitations, then we can reach out to God. And this explains this answer to the two questions. Very quickly, to, 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 to wrap this up, question number one, why do we say a blessing? If it's only preventative, if you're building a fence only to prevent danger, so why, why a blessing? I just explained. It's not only to prevent danger. We build the fences to recognize the limitations of our own existence and to allow us, in that space of frustration with self, to reach out to something beyond self. So in truth, the guardrails represent a breakthrough of self, where we re recognize the limitations and reach out to something beyond self, which is why we say a blessing. The blessing is, thank God for giving me limitations so that I can recognize the importance of having God in my life, a truly infinite force in my life. I hope that point makes sense. If it doesn't, let me read to you this text, which will clarify. Please, God, take a look at text Number, hold on, text number 12. This is a text, you could put this up on your fridge, you can put this up on a mirror, you can live with this text and literally use this as a daily meditation. So that no creature, 
This is from the Rebbe. So that no creature will ever make the mistake of thinking that they have no need for the Creator and the ruler of the world so that to, to, that, which is, to that which is higher than them, God created them, all the creatures, with a deficiency in their being, one that they cannot fill themselves. As a result, they sense that they are dependent on a higher power. The Rebbe says, why is it, listen to the, why is it that God created us with limitations? So that we would come to realize that we're dependent, we need that which is beyond. We need a higher power. So long as we believe that we are the higher power, I don't need a higher power, the moment we hit can't go any further. We hit, we hit the roof edge and we put up the guardrails and so we know where we're boxed in. In that space of internal frustration with self, if you will, recognizing our own limitations, we can then say, okay, now I recognize the need for a higher power. Now I recognize the need for something greater than self because I recognize my own personal limitations. Turns out that recognizing limitations, putting up guardrails, is the greatest thing that leads to spiritual growth. So it's not just protecting us from sin, protecting us from falling. It's also a boost, a radical boost, to our spiritual growth, which is why we recite a blessing. Number two, why does the Torah introduce it by when you build a new home? Any home, even if it's an old home. The Torah, again, is alluding to this idea that anything new, new growth happens, True, new, radical growth happens. The only way innovation happens is when somebody was frustrated with the past. When you hit the wall of what was, then you can break through to what could be. Otherwise, it's going to be iterations of the same thing. It's not new. It's going to be an evolution, not a revolution. When do you have a revolution? When do you have a bayit chadash, a brand new edifice? When you realize the limitations of what currently is. It's only when you have the frustration in those limitations that you can seek to break out and create something dynamically and dramatically new. Thus, every case of recognizing the limitations of our roofs. Parapet, what's a parapet? Is that a roof? Is that a fence on the roof? Doesn't matter anymore. All right, any time we recognize... Parapet is a high place. It's a high place. Oh, good. Perfect. So any time we recognize the limitations of our high places, we recognize the need to put up those boundaries, to put up those fences, to put up those walls. Number one, we recognize the need to go to a higher power. Number one. And number two, it constitutes a new building, a new edifice, a new construction. It constitutes something radically new. And so my blessing for all of us here tonight is... Number one, we should be self-aware. It doesn't matter how other people see us. That's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. If we're living the... I remember hearing a quote. When I was 20, I thought everybody... I, when I was 20, I knew everybody was looking at me and I was trying to conform to their... what they wanted me to do. When I was 30... I knew everybody was looking at me, but I didn't care. But, but I said, you know, I don't care what you want. I'm going to do what I want. And when I was 40, I realized no one's looking, right? So that's kind of the evolution of life. So at some point, you realize, like, no one's even looking at you. Like, you do. So number one, it's not about whatever, what anyone else thinks about you. It's not a, it's not a popularity contest. It's not, there's no points in, in looking good. What matters in life is what we know to be true inside. Self-honesty. It's who are we, what are we about, 
What do we stand for honestly? Not what people think we stand for. Who cares, right? That's, it's called, that's, that's called Instagram, what other people think about you, right? Life is, who am I? Who am I? Step number one, we have to be aware. We have to be honest with ourselves. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What am I good at? What am I not yet good at? What can I jump into? And what should I stay away from? That's step one. But it takes humility to have that honest conversation with self. Step number two is recognize if I have a challenge in a certain area, halavai, it's only one area. If I have challenges in certain areas, I need to build a fence. I need to make sure not to go there. This is, this is a challenge for me. It doesn't matter what anyone else knows or thinks or does, right? This is my challenge. I know it. No one else has to know it. I don't have to publish it, right? This is my challenge. I'm going to stay away. I'm going to build, build a, a roof, and that's it. Stay away. Number three, recognizing that we're human, that we're limited, that we're flawed, should evoke within us a desire to connect with something that's not flawed. That should evoke a desire to connect with a higher power that's not stuck in this, these limitations. Because I am stuck. I am limited. I need, I need railings around my roof. Otherwise, I fall off again and again and again every Monday and Thursday. Right? That's an English translation of a Yiddish expression that doesn't really work in the English. Anyway, right? I know that I consistently fall off this edge. Right? So therefore I recognize, so, so what's my life like with just myself? I need a higher power. And then in that process, recognizing the limitations of self, the frustration with the, the, the mortal limitations, that can then inspire me to grow by connecting with something radically infinite beyond myself. Which is why we say a blessing over this mitzvah, which is why it's a brand new building. Every time we build a fence, that makes it a brand new building, is the point. May we have the courage to look inside. May we have the courage to recognize our own weaknesses. May we have the courage and the strength to build those fences. May we have the daring desire to connect with something beyond ourselves. Thank you very much for joining me tonight for Torah Studies. I hope that you enjoyed the class. I hope it made sense. And um, I want to thank you for being part of the experience. All right, we're going to take some questions in a moment. Made sense? Yes, yes. How was the first class? Good? Okay. Put you on the spot. What are you going to say? No. Actually, I'd rather stay at home and watch Netflix. I mean, anyway, thank you for being here. Okay. Um, yes. So I'm going to be forward, and I love the end of the Rebbe's quote. And I don't have it in front of me. Hasn't your audio is cutting out and you're very but choppy. I think the whole thing to Zion and Elian Elian. Oh, I heard what I heard, and I don't have it in front of me, but the Rebbe's ending at the end of your lesson was what actually like hits me, and I think your mother kind of kind of paraphrased it when she said the only way up is to go up to Hashem. Beautiful. And the rabbi said to I'm coming to Elyon Elyon, is that, was that? 
possibly, I was reading in the English, but that's that's very shaykh, yeah. I was looking at the at the Yiddish. The Yiddish is always beautiful, is yeah. It's, that reminds me of my Zayda. Um, um, we don't say lahavdil on a yid, but, but uh, yeah, I'm well, with you. No, I mean, I mean, you know, my grandfather was a wonderful scholar, but... Ankumen to akayach elyon. Yeah, he says to an... Vemele filin zeviz muzen ankumen to akayach elyon. Yeah, yeah. To get to, you know, the strive in this whole thing that we live is to strive to, you know, as it says in today's parashah, to come to be, to love your God, but to get to where God wants you to be. This is and, true. And that's the, I think to me it's great, you know. Uh, um, can't can't go wrong with the Rebbe's teachings. That's, that's for sure. That is for sure. Can't go wrong. All right, good. Any more questions or comments? Let me make a few, yeah. Shmuley, you got something? No? I, I have a question. Hold on one second, Yaakov Shmuley, jump in. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, um, seems like the idea given over here is about self, uh, being careful, defense around yourself. Yes. And the yeah. simple mitzvah seems to be guarding against somebody else falling off. Beautiful. So I wonder if there's an interplay with, with that. Amazing, amazing. That's a, that's a great, it's a great point. It's a great point that you're pointing out. On a basic level, the mitzvah is about protecting others. On a deeper level, it's about protecting self. It's a, it's a good point. I mean, you could ask it as a question. How does it, how does it fit together? One, you know, it's, it's different. I, I, I didn't think of it in these terms, so I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking about the question now. Um, I think what I would say is, I, I kind of, I'm, I don't have it clear in my head, but I want to kind of formulate this idea like when the self is the other or when the other is the self. That makes sense. When I realize that that other that falls, yeah, the guy who's careless and falls all the time is really me, right? That's actually me. I'm the other. Like, we typically say, well, me, I don't fall. It's the other people. I can't believe what they're doing. So reckless, so ridiculous. I can't. How could they have done that? I can't believe they did that thing. Cancel them. Meanwhile, slow down. Slow down, cowboy. Like, what? we're perfect, right? We're, like, not falling off things. It's but. So that's, I don't know if it makes, I don't know if it's perfect, but that's to me, it's like when we other the other, that's the problem. But when we um, it, recognize that the other is really us, the one that falls is, is me, that's a game changer. Yeah, thank you. I have um, a question. Yes. Is it just for a new, I, 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 maybe I just didn't hear when you said it, but it says when you build a new house, right. does it, does it mean only when you build a house or when you move into someone? No, so it's, that, that's the thing. It really means any time you get a hold of a house, even if you were living in there for a while and you didn't do it before, the mitzvah doesn't go away. So it's, it's really all the time. Now, we ask the question, so why does it say when you build a new house? And the, the Sifri answers, which is the halachic midrash, the halachic midrash says that when you build a house, even if you don't live there, you're already you're already obligated to, to put up the, the fence, even if there's no one that currently living there. But um, on a deeper level, we exp- the Rebbe explains, this is all from the Rebbe, from the Rebbe Sicha, the Rebbe explains that means that every time you engage in the process of recognizing your own limitations and therefore being motivated to touch 
something beyond that to connect with Hashem, that is a bias chadash. That's a new home. But you're asking on a, on a halakhic, simple halakhic question, on a simple, on a, not simple, but on a on a core legal basis uh, level, yes, you would have to put up the fence anytime. As, if as, as if there's no fence or guardrail, it has to go up. Yeah. And I have one. I have one more sure. question. Uh, when you talk about the bias as being when you, you when you yourself achieve a new level and you think ah oh, that's good that's I, I've got okay. right. so that means is that that that's like okay so you're allowed to go to that high level and think sure. good of yourself but you still have to put, put a fence around right. your so that's that's so a great mean that, right so it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go and build yourself right. up it yeah, I, I like what you're saying, and and I think that's that's a good it's a good it's a good like additional well, point. Build, which I'm building on what you said. Literally, literally, because you're talking about building. <laughs> no, because the point is that you should build. Yes. But the higher you build, the higher the 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 the, the lower the fall, right? The higher you go up. The farther the fall. Yeah. Well, and and there's still there's always going to be an edge. No, no. The higher you are, the the further the drop is when right. you get off that. But, yeah. but there's no there's no prohibition to going higher. And Correct. Words, no, on the contrary, yeah. For sure. No, what you said before was you should support yourself. You should right. give yourself recognition, and you should recognize. Don't be too don't be too hard on the, right. yourself, but put the fences around you. The previous Rebbe said, just like we have to be honest with ourselves with our deficiencies, we also have to be honest with ourselves. With our with our mindless, with our um, right. our virtues. All right, we'll take one more question here on, on online. Yaakov, jump yeah. in. So yeah, now to build on Shmuley and especially uh, what Noreen just said. Um, let's say you work hard on yourself, and you're in the groove of Elul, just hypothetically, um, and then you're you're at the top of your game, and you're feeling strong, and all of a sudden it's apparently. Whenever I get to a really, really strong spiritual place, there is, seems a lot of law of nature. Someone or something is going to try to pull me all the way back down to a very low vibratory level. And at that point, if it's an annoying roommate, yeah, sure, whatever. But if it's someone you love, then then what do you do? Right. You know, do you socially distance yourself? Um, do you empathize? We're supposed to, you know, feel. I mean, uh, I mean, everybody's uh, said this that you know, you when you're uh, have a soulmate, you feel that same pain. So the right. bottom line is, um, you know, what? How do we? What do we do at that point? Because it seems to work um, when they do that. It always catches me off guard, um, and uh, it brings me down. You know, and then I gotta build myself all over. Like yeah. it's frustrating and it's saddening. That's like, oh man, I, I was so. so I, I, I don't it's, know. It's so, you know, it's a great question, and it's, it, it, it resonates as being a, a, a truth of life. And I would say, just echoing what the author says in Tanya, that there's two issues. There's one is the issue that's kind of tripping us up, and then the other, the other element is it's, um, it's being surprised that we're being tripped up. So if we can take away the element of surprise, if we should expect yeah. that even when I'm floating in the Himmel, even when I'm floating in the clouds, right? Yeah. I'm still a human being that still has triggers and I still, you know, can blow up at any moment, that, then at least it won't take us by surprise and then we can deal with it. Part of the challenge of dealing with things is when we didn't expect them to happen. If we expect it to happen, then we expect the maintenance to, to be happening. I'm not telling you the exact maintenance. That's it's already, a, you know, a, a deeper conversation. But 
it should it should be less of a of a surprise and more of an expected thing. I I'll just I'll end with this. We'll we'll officially close it out with this. But but excellent question. Um, you know, after Yom Kippur, I hear this from a lot of people. After Yom Kippur, you know, well on Yom Kippur everyone feels holy, fasting, and you know, wearing white and synagogue all day and all that stuff. And then after Yom Kippur is like the most susceptible time to like get into a fight with somebody. So it is, right? Why? I don't know. Number one, because the eight Sahara, the evil inclination, wants to you know balance things out a little bit. Like you felt really holy today, not not so fast. Boom, coming down. You know, let me schlep you down. But also, number two, if, what we said tonight, it's like we take our eye off the fact that we're still human beings. It's like the story with the horses. The Baal Shem Tov used to travel with Kvitz which means that he was able to cover large distances very quickly, miraculously. So he would typically hire a, a he had a wagon driver at wagon horses. He would tell the wagon driver, turn around. And the horses let the horses gallop, and they were galloping. So the story goes that one time the horses were galloping, and they were covering large amounts of, large amounts of, of real estate. They were flying. Territory. And territory. And, um, and the horses were thinking, hey, why aren't we stopping? We usually stop. They're not stopping at this stop, at that stop, to eat or to drink. They thought, well, maybe we're like human beings. Maybe we don't need to eat so often like horses. Horses need it's to eat more often. It's an express train. It's an express train. Maybe, we, maybe we're like human beings. And then they kept on going and they said, uh, maybe we're like angels. We don't need to eat at all. And then eventually they came to the destination and they came to the trough and the whatever, the hay, and they, they ate and drank. And they looked at themselves and said, nah, we're still horses. So listen. Far be it from me to call anyone here uh, a ferret. I'm just saying that, like, the reality is that uh, we're, we, still, we still have the animal inside. Yeah, we dressed up on Yom Kippur. We didn't eat. Okay, it's oh, but when it comes to an end, we're still human, and we shouldn't be so surprised that there. Again, it's it's not thinking that there's something that's still um, susceptible that really makes us susceptible. All right, we'll close it out with that. Wonder, have a wonderful evening, Erev Tov. Um, next week, don't forget, we have 60 days. Two sessions of meditation and spirituality with Mrs. Nomi Freeman. Check out the website for more information, intowntjewishacademy.org slash 60 days. Um, otherwise, we have a chauffeur making workshop coming up in a week and a half. We have high holiday boot camp coming up. That will be a Zoom series coming up September 1st. What else do we have? We have movie, movie. movie night. How did I forget? We have movie night this Sunday night. Oh my gosh, with Israeli food, an incredible Israeli buffet. Um, it's called Redemption. It's a great film. It's beautiful. I feel like every time I want to share the plot, I'm like, I don't want to give too much away. Um, basically, it's about friendship, loyalty, and love. I know I just described like a like a hundred thousand movies, I know, but it's very touching. It's an indie Israeli. It's like an Israeli independent film, and it's it's really gorgeous. It's got music. It's got drama. It's all right. So join us Sunday at eight p.m. We have the food and then the film, and what else? I feel like I'm missing something. Oh, of course, high holidays are coming up, and we are about to put out some revised guidelines. Some of you have been asking about that, so we're going to have some tweaks to some guidelines. Um, I believe so, so stay tuned for some more details. Um, and of course, we're doing the 
two days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I'm going to be leading a lear learner service and an interactive service that you will love. So join me. And if you're not in Atlanta, it's fine. You still have time to get here. All right. Thank you very much for joining, and we'll see you guys soon. Laila Tov. Thank you, Bye, everybody. All right.